Welcome to the Cheryl Broderson Podcast, encouraging and equipping you through the study of God's Word. This is a podcast taken from the Joyful Life Bible Study at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. Life is full of choices. Have you noticed? I was teaching Sunday school a few weeks ago, and I've got this adorable little girl, Chrissy. She's so cute. I've got, okay, all of the kids in my first grade Sunday school class are adorable because I also have Phoebe's daughter, Nicole, who is adorable and so well-behaved, so well-behaved. But anyway, I have little Chrissy. She comes in, and her hair used to be long, and now it's really short. And I said, Chrissy, you got a haircut. She goes, I, I chose it. I chose it. And I said, oh, did you? Yeah. I could have it any length I wanted. I chose it. I chose it. And I was thinking, you know, there was something empowering when you say, I chose it. You know, this was my decision. I wanted this. But I was thinking, as I was thinking about how we have all these choices around us every day, I was thinking, oh my goodness, I just decided to go to the market. But I want you to know this, that I chose what market I was going to go to. I had the choice. I could have gone to Vons. I could have gone to Mother's. I could have gone to Whole Foods. I could have gone to Ralph's or Super King. But I chose to go to Sprouts. I also chose the parking place that I would park at. Not too close to the front because I need to get my steps in. I also chose the cart I would use. You know, not that big cart, but I like the one that's smaller and has the sections. I chose that cart. And then I chose the products that I wanted. In fact, out of all the zucchini that they were offering me, I chose two. Just two zucchinis. And why did I... I like the way those looked better than the other ones. Then I chose to check out myself rather than to go through the checkout line. And then I chose the order of the items I would scan And then I chose the way I would pay the bill. You know, they gave me quite a few options. I could do my debit card. I could do my credit card. I could do my telephone now. I could do cash, but I chose. And then when they asked me, I chose to use my own bags because I had them in my purse. And then I chose what items would go into each bag. Now, I didn't use a lot of consciousness, but I realized as I was doing, I'm actually choosing. I've got power here over these bags and my groceries. And then I chose, because I also had the choice when I took my groceries out, where to put it in my car. I could have put it in the back seat. I could have put it in the passenger seat, although if you do, it goes because it thinks someone's sitting there. So I chose to put it in the very back, in the hatch of my car. And then I chose which way I would exit the parking lot because I had two choices, actually three, but I chose one of them. And then I chose my route home because there are different routes that I could take from Sprouts to my house, at least three. But I chose to go straight down Harbor Boulevard to Mesa Verde and turn right. It was my choice. I chose it. But I think of how complex and complicated, simple choices can be. Like, when your husband says, do you want to go out for dinner? Now, that's an easy choice. Yes. But then he says, where? (laughs) Because do you want Mexican food, or French cuisine, or Italian, or barbecue, or Indian, or Asian, or American cuisine? 
And all of a sudden, we have to think, what am I in the mood for? And then he might say, let's go Mexican. No, no, I don't want an enchilada or a quesadilla or a taco or tamale because those are the choices we have of Mexican food and more. Then he says, Italian. Oh, but would I choose pizza or pasta or would I just binge on the garlic bread like usual? Or American, do I want a hamburger or steak? Do I want a salad? What do I want? The choices. And then if I'm cooking, what recipe am I going to use? I've got the choice. What brand, company, or, or restaurant? You know, even if you go Mexican, what Mexican restaurant? Which one? If you go Asian, which one? If you go American cuisine, hamburgers, which one? You know, in fact, it's interesting because I live, you know, off a of Harbor Boulevard, and they have a Sonic. For a while, they had Five Guys and Fries, but it didn't do so well. They have Sonic, McDonald's, In-N-Out. Um, there's a couple others. And they said, we're going to rename it Hamburger Boulevard. I thought that was... <laughs> but I think about the criteria for my choice. What tastes good? What looks best? Some days, it's what's the least calories. Some days. What is the best price? What is the most convenient? What works the best? What will last? What has the least calories? Oh, I did put it in. What is the healthiest? What does my husband or family want? What will leave the least carbon footprint? What are my friends wanting to eat? What are others choosing? What is the most interesting? What will be the most enjoyable to me? And why do we do this? Because our choices matter, don't they? Nothing worse than spending money on a terrible restaurant. We were just like, I told you, in Illinois, and we did this. Spent lots of money on, you know, we decided to try deep dish pizza. Maybe we just chose the wrong place. All those calories, all those, you know, and it took 30 minutes to come, and it was like, so this is it. <laughs> hmm. And then all that money. So this is it. Our choices matter. Every choice has a consequence, doesn't it? How many of you, you know, are old enough to remember truth or consequences? Remember that game? It was all about the choice that you make. You make the wrong choice and you could get like, you know, shaving cream in your face. And you, you had to make the right choices. And they didn't really have, you know, people had to choose their criteria by which, you know, can you trust Bob Barker or not? And we found out you can't. If those of you who know the scuttlebutt, you couldn't. Oh. But now you have like the price is right. And it's all about your choices, you know? Um, and what was the other one where people used to dress up and you would choose, let's make a deal. That's exactly it. Are you going to choose door number, you know, one, door number two, or door number three? All of those had to do with choices, and they highlighted the power and the consequences of a choice, because a choice is actually like a seed that we plant in the ground, and do we know what will grow from that seed that we've planted? Galatians 6, 7 says this, do not be deceived, God is not mocked, for whatever a man sows, whatever he plants in the ground, that he will also reap. 
In Matthew 26, 52, Jesus told Peter, put away your sword because the person who chooses the sword, chooses to use the sword, will die by the sword. In other words, you know, you reap what you sow. If you choose to gossip, you'll become a victim of gossip. If you choose to lie, you'll become a victim of lies. If you choose to slander, you'll become a victim of slander. If you choose to be violent, violence will be used against you. Choices have consequences. I think of the ominous choice that Eve made in the Garden of Eden. Now, she's surrounded by beauty, by perfection and fellowship. But she's seduced by the devil to choose her own definition of right and wrong. In other words, she's seduced by the devil to choose what is good. What is good? And she chose to trust her own criteria for choice more than what God said. More than what God said. Because God tells us in his word, this is good, this is bad. Just like in the Garden of Eden, he said, these trees are good. This tree is bad. It's bad for you. It's not bad for me, but it's bad for you. It's too much for you to handle. Because in the day that you eat of it, your eyes, in the day that you eat of it, you will die. Now, God warned about the consequences. However, the devil told her that God was withholding from her. That to choose against God, to choose against his word, to choose against God's standard of right and wrong would bring enlightenment, would bring pleasure and beauty to her life. Do you see any difference between that lie and the lie that is being promoted in society right now? Any difference? He told her there would be no consequences. Her choice would not have consequences. You will not die. That's what he said. But the minute she ate it, she felt, if she gave it to Adam, they felt their own nakedness. They felt feelings they had never felt before. Vulnerability, embarrassment, shame, humiliation, alienation from God, isolation. What had been friend, the garden became foe. What had been food then became dangerous. Bad choices carry consequences. We've all had to deal with the consequences of bad choices. Some of them are not so bad. Others are lethal. I, I remember this is not consequential or of importance, but I remember being in a dressing room, trying on bathing suits. Whore of all whores, I hate trying on bathing suits. It just brings out every, everything that's wrong with your figure. But I took my uh, Kelsey then, who was five, with me. And every bathing suit I put on, she'd say, it's beautiful. <laughs> it looks beautiful. And so because she kept saying it over one, I bought it. I remember the first time wearing it to the beach, Brian said, what in the world are you wearing? And you think about, you know, I've already worn it. I can't take it back. The tags are off. 
And I said, I don't know. I relied on a five-year-old's discretion. You know, we've all suffered from the consequences of our own choices. That was humiliating, too. We've all suffered in shame, alienation. Yeah, I think I felt pretty much all of them. Not only from Eve's choices. You know, I, I think people blame Eve way too much. Because we've had the same choices put before us, and we've bitten off the same tree the right to choose my will over God's, that my will is good or better than God's will. One of the questions that perplex people the most is, why does a good God allow evil? Why does he? Oh, I can think of so many answers to this question. One of the answers is, if he didn't permit evil, there would be very few living in our population, if any. So the answer has to do with his mercy, and it has to do with his righteousness to allow men and women to choose, to choose. Now, if you've ever heard my dad, or ever heard my dad, he still preaches on K-Wave, I listened to him yesterday, but if you ever heard my dad when he spoke on free choice, he would say that it's God's righteousness that allows choice. Because without a choice, you cannot have authenticity or honesty. If I choose something because it's the only, only item available then I really didn't have a choice. The choice was to eat or not to eat. That's really not a choice because that's all available. You know, when a woman says, I wouldn't marry you if you're the last man on earth, it's really not a choice. He's the last man on earth. You're stuck. <laughs> a choice is to say, of all the men on earth, I choose you. That's love. If the choices are still there, you know, if men are still pursuing you, which is not part of my current story, and I continually choose Brian, it's a choice because I love him. There are a lot of men graduating at Wheaton. I took pictures of only one. Only one mattered to me. That was my... That shows my love. That shows my faithfulness. I am choosing of my own volition. When we make the choice for the Lord, for his good, we are exercising faith. We are saying, I trust you, and God can count it to us as righteousness. Then God can say, that's a, that's, a, that's a choice that blesses me. That's a choice for good. It's a choice because I have the choice to do my will. See, sin is actually simply this. When I put my will above God's will, 
that's sin. You know, it, it comes in all different types of packages. You have your choice of sin. But whenever it, I say, my will is good, my will is better than God's, that's sin. And it will lead to more sin because that's one thing about consequences. That's one thing about choices. Choices lead to more choices. You know, when, you, when they ate the fruit in the garden, then they hid from God. Then they blamed each other. It just led from one sin to the next. Choices. I think of David choosing to commit adultery with Bathsheba, and that led then to deception with Uriah, which led to murder. Those things that you think you will never do begin with the criteria of our choice. God allows men and women the right of choice. His righteousness cannot force men and women to choose good. But today in our society, people want to redefine what good is, don't they? There's this redefining of what is good. It seems like they are using Eve's criteria for choosing good. Will it feel good? Will it feel good? Will it make me feel good? That's an excuse for drunkenness, for drugs, for marijuana. Does it look appetizing? Does it, does it look cool? Do others say, that looks cool? And finally, will it make me superior? Will it empower me? Good, though, is about what is beneficial spiritually, physically, emotionally, mentally for others and then for me. That's the criteria. This is God's criteria for good. Will it produce the utmost benefit in every way for all creation? God is self-sacrificial. He gave up his own throne to come and to suffer and to die for us, not because it felt good, not because it looked good, it didn't, and not because it would give him any more power or authority over us. He already had all the authority he needed. But he did it that it might bring the utmost good to all of us who would receive him and then eventually to all of creation. In our account, I'm finally there. About Elisha, we have two stories Two kings that are anointed. And neither were good or godly, right? You notice that? Both were violent. Ugh. 
and one became one of the most vile enemies of Israel. And yet, why do we have these in the Bible? Do you notice how the Bible doesn't just give us good stories? No, because it gives us true stories. So it gives us the good, the bad, the ugly, and the beautiful, and allows us to choose allows us to choose. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. These accounts have much to teach us about God, humans, life, and our choices. So we begin in 2 Kings 7. Eight, sorry, chapter 8, verses 7 through 15. And you know the story. Elisha travels outside of Israel to Damascus. Damascus was the capital of Aram, or what we often refer to as Syria. These were sworn enemies of Israel. And yet here in this foreign nation, these, this enemy of, of Israel, he is known to Ben-Hadad as the man of God. And it's interesting that he knew Elisha's word because he was a man of God, had authority, had power, and could be trusted. Perhaps he knew the story of when Elisha told Israel's king about the plans of the Arameans or the Syrians. Or maybe he knew the story of Naaman. Maybe he even knew Naaman. So he sent his servant or his general, Hazael. And it's interesting because Hazael's name means God sees or God has seen. To find the prophet of Israel, to inquire about his recovery. And Elisha says to Hazael, tell him he will certainly recover. In other words, this disease is not unto death. This illness is not unto death. He would not die from this illness. But Elisha says then, but nevertheless, the Lord has shown me he will die. And he's staring at Hazael. He's staring at him. Nevertheless, the Lord has shown me he will die. And then he looks and stares with this penetrating stare through Hazael as he sees all that Hazael will do, all the evil that Hazael will become. In fact, it says that Elisha stared at him so long, so penetratingly, that Hazael became embarrassed. You know how it's awkward when someone stares at you? Like, do I stare back? Especially when you're in a conversation. Do I look at them? Do I look? You know, I was told to look between people's eyebrows when it becomes too intense, you know, because it looks like you're looking in their eyes. Or if you, have you ever noticed if you try to look in a person's eyes, you're going back and forth? Like, which eye? Right or left? Again, a choice, right? Which eye do I choose? So he's staring until it becomes embarrassing to Hazel. Awkward. And then he begins to weep. Here's the man of God. Here's the man with the word of authority, 
the word with power. He's being honored by Hazael. Hazael has brought 40 camel loads of the best of Syria to give to this prophet. And now that prophet is just staring at him, staring him down. And then he begins to weep. And when Hazael asks why he's weeping, Elisha answers that he has seen the future and every wicked thing that Hazael would do to the women, to the young men, to the people of Israel, the babies even. Hazael is incredulous. Am I a dog that I would do this? Hazael's like, what do you think I am, an animal? I would never do anything like that. I mean, I'm respecting you right now. Elisha told him that he would be the next king of Syria. Think of this as a Macbeth moment. How many of you have read Macbeth? I could ask, you know, how many have read, and then I could say how many understood Macbeth. That would be a better question. How many understood Shakespeare? But in the play Macbeth, the, the witches are, you know, Macbeth is this general to um, the king of Scotland. And he comes across these witches, and these witches are, you know, at their cauldron going, boil, boil, toil, and trouble. Anyway, and more. That's where you get boil, boil, toil, and trouble. It's from Macbeth. You didn't even know that. But they tell him he's going to be the next king of Scotland. So he goes home and he tells his wife, you know, I met these witches. They said I'm going to be the next uh, king of Scotland. Uh, a few weeks later, the king of Scotland decides to stop and um, stay the night, feeling that he would be safe with his general. And so he's spending the night, and Macbeth's wife encourages Macbeth to go in and kill the king. So he'll become king. So he goes in and he kills the king. And then the guilt makes his wife go crazy. Macbeth becomes the king of Scotland. And then to cover up the murder that he's committed against Macbeth, he does one heinous thing, another murder, another uh, tyrannical um, death. I mean, he just becomes horrid, and the people hate him. And the end, he goes crazy like his wife because of the guilt. Um, she's always trying to wash the blood off her hands. I did a soliloquy about her. It was like, out, out, dumb spot. And then he did. Um, he did, life is but a walking shadow, a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and is heard no more. You've heard some of these things, right? It's all from Macbeth. So Macbeth is kind of like Hazael's story in repeat. It starts with the choice, one bad choice, to take another person's life. And then it just continues on and on and on. We're never cognizant of the evil we're capable of. 2 Kings 9, 1 through 13, Elisha then sends a servant to take a flask of oil and anoint Jehu as the next king of Israel. Jehu is in Ramoth-Gilead. This is the disputed territory between the Arameans, Ben-Hadad, Hazel, and 
Israel. There has been this long war between Israel and the Aramean forces about Ramoth Gilead. And that is where Jehu is with the other captains of the army. When the servant of Elisha goes in, as Elisha told him to do, and beckons Jehu to follow him into an inner room where the servant proceeds to anoint Jehu as king and prophesies that God will use him to avenge the blood of the prophets who were God's servants, cut off the dynasty of Ahab, do away with Jezebel. Now, when he says this, Jehu seems somewhat incredulous. The prophet takes off, and when Jehu goes back to his companions, they ask Jehu, what happened? What was going on? He goes, oh, it's just a babbler. It was a madman. You know, just ignore it. And they're like, no. No, there was something with him. What went on? And when Jehu said, well, he said, you know, I'm going to be the king. All of a sudden, they stop because the prophet's word had authority with those men, an authority it didn't even have with Jehu. He didn't believe. But these men believed the word of the prophet. They took their garments, they put it at Jehu's feet, and they began to honor him as king. And Jehu carried out, as Jehu carried out what the prophet said. He dealt with the dynasty of Ahab. He executed Jezebel. And he brought vengeance upon the evil that was done in killing the prophets. Was he good? Absolutely not. He was not good because, again, we're dealing with someone who didn't really believe the word of the Lord. But as long as it was in his best interest to carry it out, he did. Because it's in Jehu's best interest to do away with the dynasty of Ahab if he's the next king. That way there won't be any coups or uprisings. So he dealt with it because it was in his best interest. But we're told that he continued in the way of Jeroboam, who was the first king of Israel, again, a man with a choice, who invented or chose his own religion over the way of Yahweh that was already written in the Torah. So why are these stories included in the word of God? And what do they teach us? Well, I've got five lessons. Are you ready? Lesson number one, they teach us that God is an equal opportunity employer. John 1, 9, Jesus is the true light, which gives light to every person coming into the world. God gives every person the opportunity to choose the good to choose him because we know only God is good. And he gives every person the opportunity, every single person. He gives them promotion. He gives them the opportunity. I think about when they came to arrest Jesus. Again, when he told Peter, put away your sword, he said, this is their hour. This is their opportunity. They had the choice to do good or to do bad. 
but they chose bad. I believe that every person has an, a glory hour, an hour where you're promoted, an hour where your choice becomes crucial. Here's your choice. Every person has that. What will you do with this opportunity? When you get power, what will you do with the power? When you get money, <laughs> what will you do with the money? When you get recognition, what will you do with the recognition? I remember Corey Tinboom speaking at Calvary. And I mean, every time she would come to the tent, there was like an uproar or even down to the, um, the chapel that we used to have on Greenville and Sunflower. Every time she'd come in, everybody was like, ah, Corey, you know, me too. Ah. I mean, I just, you loved Corey Timboom, and she would get up there and she would, she would speak, and here she was, this older woman, kind of bent over, lined, her hair in a bun, totally didn't look like she was relevant at all. But when she began to speak, the power of God just came forth, and it was so majestic. But I remember her saying, when people give me praise, and they try to say, oh, Corey, you're so wonderful, I say, that is on you, and I'll take that flower, and I put it in my hand, and I collect the flowers, and then I present them to God as a huge bouquet. I heard a story about Billy Graham. I read this um, from a man who accompanied Billy Graham. And he said he was out with Billy, and one person after another would say, 1979, you know, this place, and say the year and the place where they received Jesus because of Billy Graham. And Billy Graham would greet each person. He would shake their hand. He would smile. He would listen. And at the end of that day, before he went to bed, Billy fell on his knees and said, Lord, and he remembered the people's names. You saved, you saved, you saved, you saved. It's all yours. Every man has the time of choice, of opportunity, of glory. What will you do with it? What will you do with it? The Garden of Eden is the scenario over and over again for each of us. We all have a Garden of Eden experience. Will you choose God's word and God's standard of good? Or will your criteria be akin to ease? What will I feel like? What will it make me look like? And what? fulfillment or empowerment will it bring me? Lesson two, God is not inactive. Though judgment tarries, it is certain. Right now, we're not living with what I call the divine judgment of God, but we are living in consequential judgment. Choices have consequences. You know that they said there's a rise in schizophrenia and it's all due to marijuana. There's a rise in schizophrenia. There are more homeless people than ever before. And you know, most of the homeless people, when you go to talk to them, there's some craziness there. 
and it's drug-related, and yet, what are we doing? Let's legalize pot. Let's put a great big pot store on Harbor Boulevard that Cheryl Broderson can go by and curse in the name of Jesus every time she drives by. I've told you this story before. On the way home from church on 17th Street in Costa Mesa, there used to be this huge topless bar, and it was big. And we would go by it because we used to go to church on Wednesday and Sunday nights. And every time we would go by it, my mom would say, oh, Thursday nights, I curse you in the name of Jesus. I curse you in the name of Jesus. And one Sunday night as we were coming home from church, the thing was on fire and burnt to the ground. It was never <laughs> rebuilt. We have power. As they say, there is power in the name of Jesus to break every chain, break every chain. And I am praying, Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you would break the chain of pot, that you would curse that store from beginning to end, and that no one would be deceived or have their brain cells ruined forever by that store. So we curse it in the name of Jesus because you have given us the authority. You have given us the power. Lord, bring the whole chain down, Lord. And Father, wake this nation up to their need of Jesus. Okay, that was just lesson number two. Yes, thank you. Jesus, it's a flower for him. The divine judgment, this was dealt with by Jesus on the cross of Christ. And those who receive Jesus as Lord and Savior do not have to worry about divine judgment they are covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. He took the judgment. Third lesson, God uses evil to deal with evil. Somebody said it's like playing judo, that you use a person's strength against them. I wouldn't know because I never practiced judo. But that's what they said, that they used the opponent's strength against them in the moves. Hazael, who was evil, would deal with the idolatrous evil of Israel. Israel, having turned from God, had left themselves vulnerable to evil. Hazael's attack and cruelty would bring Israel to the end of their own pride and power. Jehu, who is not a good guy, would destroy the house of Ahab. Because Ahab's house, as we said before, would be a threat because of coups and uprisings to the throne of Jehu. So he did it for his own self-interest, but he did it. And in so doing, God used evil against evil. On the cross, God judged wickedness by the curse of sin. The cross was cruel, torturous, barbaric and humiliating, but God used injustice against injustice. God used cruelty against cruelty. God used sin against sin and evil against evil. And we're told in Colossians 2, 13, 15, and you being dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, he is made alive together with him. Here's where it gets good. Having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and this is the part I love, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. He used a cruel cross 
to defeat evil. He used the injustice of a righteous man's crucifixion to destroy injustice, to disarm the principalities and powers. You know, sometimes we just need to step back and let evil fight evil. You know, I mean, God uses evil to fight evil. It's not our battle. Brian was um, teaching through Proverbs on Wednesday nights, and he brought out one of his favorite Proverbs. He who takes a dog and grabs it by the ears is the same as somebody who meddles in a quarrel that is not his own. We don't, we don't belong in the world's quarrels. Let them fight it out. We're going to serve Jesus. We're going to walk with Jesus. We're going to do what Jesus has told us to do, and our list is full. Our platter is full. We don't need to go out. Let evil deal with evil, and it will. Fourthly, God honors the choices of men and women. He will not violate our will. He will do his best to dissuade us from choosing the wrong. However, in his righteousness, he will ratify our choices. That is what happens when somebody continually says no to the Lord. At one point, the Lord says ratified. Somebody said it this way, that the man who continually says, my will be done, not your will be done. In the end, God says, all right, your will will be done. I can't think of anything worse than having my will done. It's not good for me. It's not good for humanity. It's not good for my dog. It's not good for anybody when I get my will. And yet I want my will above Brian so much. I mean, you know, he's, he's the person, he and Remy, my three-year-old grandson, they're the ones who come in the greatest conflict with my will. You know? But it's not the best to have my will. Then finally, we have no idea of the evil we are capable of if we start making our own choices using our own criteria. No wonder the Bible tells us, in all our ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct our paths. Your choices matter. Moses said to the children of Israel, I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life, that both you and your descendants may live, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, and that you may cling to him, for he is your life and the length of your days." God in his righteousness has given us the right to choose. Both Hazael and Jehu were given great opportunities. But like Eve, they made a bad choice, which led to a series of bad choices. The best choice we can make is Jesus over and over again to choose his word, his will, and his way above our own. No matter what, to choose the will of Jesus. To say, what is your will? What is your way? What do you want? That is the best choice.
Lately, it's been pressing upon me, and next week, um, I think the lesson really lends itself to the need to pray more, to choose to pray more, to pray more, to pray harder, to pray more passionately, to bring everything and anything with my whole heart to the Lord and know and inquire of his way and his will. Um, We did a Women Worth Knowing about a week ago with a a woman named um, Michelle Yule, and she was talking about Letty Kalman. Some of you will recognize that from Streams in the Desert. She's the woman who compiled all those little devotions in Streams in the Desert. Her story is wonderful. I already did it on Women Worth Knowing, but Michelle has written a whole book on it, and she was bringing um, some extra stories that we didn't know. But one of the things she said about Letty Kalman, because she took over um, the missionary association that her husband had started, she had to take it over because um, Mr. Turnbull, who was it was turned over to it, also died. So then she had to take it. There was no one else. And she took it over when she was in her 70s, and she had never had good health. And whenever a decision would come and they needed an answer, she would say, let's pray. And she would make them all pray. And she would not do anything until she heard from the Lord. Then she would go by herself. She would open her Bible and she would pray, Lord, show me your way. And she'd always come back with a scripture and a direction. And you know what? It was always the right choice. I think that we're not acknowledging the Lord in all our ways. Because mistakenly, we've begun to believe in our own goodness. And we've forgotten that given our own criteria and given our own choice, we become very unpleasant people to be around. So let's choose to pray, to acknowledge him, and let him direct our way. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this warning from Hazael and Jehu that we are not safe with our own criteria and our own choices. Father, may we choose you even when it's uncomfortable. May we choose your way even when it looks scary. May we choose your way even when we can't see the future, what lies before us. May we choose you. And choose, Lord, may we hear your voice, even as you've promised in Isaiah that we would hear our voice speaking into our ear, turn this way, turn that way. Lord, may your voice be louder and our own voice be silenced. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.